0: Emily Lehman. And this is in layman's terms podcast. Hello, my friend. Yeah, well, if you're ready, we can get started. I'm
1: Gucci. Let's do it.
0: All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode. Today I have my I don't even want to call you a friend. You're basically my brother at this point. My family, Devin, Devin Fisher. I've known him. I God, since you were so fucking young, running around with little stringy hair, your <laughs> piercings, um, Devin and I went through our opioid addiction together at a very young age. We kind of ran in the same circles we used together. And today we have Devin with us. He's going to share about his recovery, going to rehab and overall everything that he's learned and how he's gotten to where he is today. How are you, Dev?
1: Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's uh it's long overdue. I know we've talked about this a whole lot and you getting this rolling. Congratulations. It's it's awesome to be here. And um, you know, just same shit different day over here. I'm absolutely honored to be on your uh, your podcast.
0: So, Devin is currently, I think you're living in Florida, right?
1: I'm in or Cincinnati in right now. Okay. Yeah, I, I just came back um, two weeks ago because I was working from home and they gave me a new position. I didn't want them to, like, catch me. Like, uh, not being, okay. you know what I mean? Got like,
0: like, a weasel on home.
1: Right, yeah. right. Yeah.
0: So, Devin, you have been sober for how long now?
1: So, to go ahead and, and just kind of, like, prelude with this, I – I wouldn't even say that I am sober. Uh, I do I do smoke weed. So if you're like a hard, ho- hardcore AA, like big book banger, I'm going to tell you right now, like you probably don't want to listen to anything I have to say. Um, I, I, I
0: smoke weed too, so.
1: Yeah, I've got, look, I've got absolutely nothing against the 12-step programs. Um, but my actual sobriety date, I believe is August 30th, which is Overdose Awareness Day, um, which is a super big coincidence. So that was, the, I believe, the last time I shot up, uh, I believe, was either the 29th or the 30th
0: that is freaky and eerie kind of what an interesting sign but i love it i i like that for you and so devin and i have known each other for so 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 long and devin and i have been on vacations together my dad calls you the fucking diver devin was like <laughs> super fucked up on my dad's boat once and jumped off into the current My dad has named him the diver ever since. So Devon and I, we have a lot of history together. Um, We've been through a lot of ups and downs together. And today we are gonna just kind of talk about that. We've lost friends to the opioid epidemic where we live in Cincinnati. It's just so, so prevalent. It's just everywhere. And I obviously don't live at home anymore, so I'm not sure what it currently is like and how it is for you being at home. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So to begin with, I would say, you know, Cincinnati, to begin with, like New Jersey and Ohio, just absolutely terrible with opiate addiction. Um, Because, you know, look, I can get whatever I want, wherever I want. I'm a very resourceful person. You can put me in the Mojave Desert or some shit like that. I'm probably gonna score some fucking dope. Um, but when I was looking for things, you know, Cincinnati, it's 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 just it's perfect. I remember when COVID first hit. Keep in mind, COVID first hit, the police uh, policing went down a whole lot. People weren't pulling people over for things. They didn't have time to deal with you know drug charges. So I was going downtown um, into like OTR, going to Vine Street near like Finley Market, and quite literally. I'm talking like hundreds of people just like party on the streets, just fucking slinging dope. Um, Biggest open air market I've ever seen. Like obviously every city has a notorious open air market, but you know, Vine street, uh, OTR, obviously Avondale, stuff like that. Cincinnati has a whole lot of open air markets. And if you're a white boy and you're there, you're there for a reason. And no one's that dumb.
0: I know when you and I were picking up drugs together I mean we would go like 15 or 10 minutes down the street it was a really quick situation we pick it up go home crush crush it up and just like literally sit in your room and just like hang out and we I mean we did this for years for sure for sure
1: definitely yeah. Yeah. That's what made things so deadly, though, Too having, you know, at such a young age, these resources to get, you know, 30s for people that don't know, you know, 30 milligram oxycodone with, uh, you know, no filler in it, literally made for for snorting, basically. Um, having these hookups at, you know, 16, 17, going to Hartwell, stuff like that, it just set me set me out on a really, um, a really awesome path to fail. Obviously, I can't, you know, blame anything besides myself for the situations I've been in, but. The resources that you and I had back in the day when we were younger, we didn't realize what we had and what we were doing.
0: No, definitely not. And I think that having, I mean, yeah, the access, which I mean, it was, it didn't matter it was it, we just always were going to find something i think like no matter what we were finding the money for it it didn't matter One way or another like, always we were gonna getting, get it we were fucking yeah. getting those perks and sure. you make a really good point i would remember you always saying that you would never go down to roger's house unless it was uh worth a hundred milligrams <laughs> you'd only go for, a, for 100 milligrams and I just rem- I mean looking back on that now it's just like what the fuck
1: so fucking ridiculous yeah I, I like 16 17 years old I don't even know how old I was I was like I will not go pick up drugs unless it's at least I'm, 90 milligrams is my bare minimum threshold I was like look I'll, I'll pick them up for 90 milligrams but I want 120 and that's, that's at least 90 to 120 dollars right there and we're doing that you know we're every doing that day mostly. Yeah, every day, every other day. How the fuck does a kid get that money?
0: I don't know. We get really good at selling shit on eBay.
1: <laughs> yeah, finesse lords. We just became a little finesse lords.
0: You know, addiction runs in my family. It runs in Devin's family as well. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I don't I don't I don't know what you want to consider, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction. If you consider disease a thinking issue, I don't really care what your opinion is um all that matters is that you know it's a fucking issue um i would say that really kind of maybe the beginning of the my bloodline being fucked was the fact that my father happened to be a big concert promoter and back in the 60s and the 70s heroin didn't have the stigma it had today rock stars used to shoot up coke rock stars used to shoot up heroin that's what they did um now my dad was very hip with the times he brought he literally quite literally brought hip-hop to cincinnati he brought sugar hill getting here um so you know, he would, would shoot up with the rock stars and things like that. And there's, that was nothing unheard of. Nothing crazy. Wasn't addicted. Never really, you know, had any issues with it. Anyways, pretty sure he fucked our bloodline right there. But uh, <laughs> fast forward, unfortunately, uh, and basically my entire life story is just plagued with addiction. Um, when I was 11 years old, I lost my first sister uh, star. It was a Sunday morning. I was playing World of Warcraft. And um, my I, I, to that point, I'd never seen my dad cry in my life. And he walked back from his bedroom on the phone. And he said, Oh, no, oh, no. And he was crying. And right then I knew I was like, Oh, fuck! Like something's really bad. And my sister star, it wasn't opiates that she was addicted to it was uh, a combo of um, a sleeping pill called Soma and Xanax together. And so star was really, really just an absolutely brilliant woman. Um, and she would just black out, go through these four or five day blackouts. And that really wasn't uncommon. You know, my parents would check her into rehab. She was a grown ass woman who was independent working at OSU's chemistry lab. She'd sign herself out. She didn't give a fuck. She was too smart. She was too independent. Anyways, five days goes by, no one really hears anything from her. Um, I remember Dylan, my brother Dylan and I were, were playing in the hallway and he goes, what do you What do you think happened to Star? What do you think's going on with Star? And, not really sarcastically, but I said, um, I don't know, she's probably dead. And unfortunately that was the truth. She, she was dead. Um, so that, that at the young age immediately, I remember I was raised very religiously. Uh, my father comes from an Orthodox background and that was the end of everything right there for me. I didn't believe in anything. My parents gave me the option to either continue practicing religion or discontinue if I'd like to. Um, and that really, it just, you know, um, Star was was almost like my twin. I mean, you know, my family. You know, I don't look like anyone besides her. We look dead on similar. I was very young, and the, the one most memorable thing I always remember from Star is she would she'd go up to me, and she, when I was younger, she'd shake me and go, she'd go, shake the baby, shake the baby, and that's one thing I really miss. But when I was eleven, that's when I really, really, really got just absolutely fucked on. Um, now I was eleven; uh, I didn't really have the tools to deal with with loss. So when I was going through, you know, puberty and actually developing these hormones and feeling real emotions and things like this around the age of 13, and 14, that's when I realized I, you know, I, I was never going to see my sister again. And that's when I actually got really depressed. It's when I first started seeing a psychiatrist for the first time. Um, it's, a, you know, I realized, you know, hey, my sister's gone. I'm not, at least in this life, I'm never going to see her again. Uh, and that led me down, you know, um, a, a path that caused a lot of depression um, and I lost a lot of faith and I developed my own chemical dependency problem. Um, now that's a separate story, but as I regained faith and in particular using 12 Steps Alcoholics Anonymous when I first got sober, uh, I believe in 2017, I, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was religious, but I was very spiritual. I did believe in a higher power. And then when I was 23 years old, I was still sober at the time. I got a call from my brother, Dylan. And Dylan doesn't call him. You know Dylan. Dylan's he doesn't. That's just not him. So it's I'm watching some Vietnam documentary, which is pretty badass, by the way. And I get I get a call from Dylan. I just say, oh my fucking god! Like, what 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 could it possibly be? I thought he was going to say, yeah, Dad passed because that's that's what should your parents pass.
0: It's, that's what you would expect first
1: your, your sister isn't supposed to pass. And so first thing he said is sky's dead. And that just I, I couldn't even I, I, after having to go through the healing process of losing your first sister, I and I still honestly haven't even come to terms with it. It's impossible to come to terms with losing a second sibling. Uh, you know, exactly 11 years after losing the first one because I was an adult. I was an adult and sky actually is responsible for my original sobriety um she oh she got me good she told me she told I me I was, good. this is a good one yeah she told me she was like yeah we're just, you're gonna go you're gonna go to seven day treatment we're gonna detox you you're gonna come home we're gonna be good i'm like seven days fuck that didn't do that on my head no now seven days comes seven days goes and um i'm like i go to the counselor i'm like I'm ready to get the fuck out of here, and he's like, "Get get out of here." He's like, "Do you know where you're going?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm going home, dumbass." He's like, "No, you're going to the Liberty Ranch, bro." He's like, "You're gonna be there for at least a year." And I'm like, "What the fuck? <laughs> like, what the fuck did you decide? say?" <laughs> so that's where? definitely right. That's definitely a side tangent, but Sky is the original reason for my sobriety. And I remember when you went real.
0: there, and I remember when you went there, feeling like, okay, like this is this is gonna you're either going to be successful there or like, you're not going to make it was I was like, you were just so the audience that's listening knows like you were so deep into this drug game that, I mean, I would check on you all the time and, you know, just like make sure you're doing okay. But like, that was absolutely a fear, especially after we lost Joey or we lost our friend, Joey, December 17th, uh, 2014 to an accidental fentanyl overdose. And after that happened, like my biggest fear was always something happening to you. And I'm just so happy to see you in such a positive place right now. And I'm just so proud of you. And I know that you know that, but it's always good to have a reminder.
1: Yeah, I I definitely appreciate it. Um, You know, I I don't really know many 21 year olds that ran out of veins to shoot dope into and things like that. But yeah definitely there were, you know, there was some really, really dark times there. Um and I still, you know, I, I still consider the man I am today because I went into the place called the Liberty Ranch. I, I went in there as a boy and um they made me a fucking man. That place broke my ass down. And I would not I wouldn't say they built me back up, but they taught me discipline. Um, and discipline is in my opinion why I'm alive today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think discipline, having a community, like you said, it's hard finding people who you can relate to. There's there's not many people who have been through the things you've seen or the things that you've been through or you felt and losing siblings and friends and going to rehab and overdosing and all of these things like that's not normal. Normal. A lot of normal people don't experience that. So having a community I've found is so very important along with discipline.
1: Yeah, it's it's been very difficult because almost everyone I've walked this path with probably I would say besides the exception of you and probably one other person, they're all dead. Um, so there's no one I can really relate to here. Uh, I've lost, you know, Joey Joey was and still always will be my best friend. Um, however, that was the first death and a long string of deaths in my life. I've, everyone, I, like I said, I've walked this path with I, has died. I, that's, that's why having a community or at least someone, something is very important because you know, most people you walk this journey with, they're not, they're not going to, like they say, when you first get into an alcoholics anonymous room, like when you're like first going to rehab and shit, they're like, look around you 70% with well, some fucking bullshit statistic. 70% of these people are going to be dead. Now that it's true. It's true. I've lost so many friends over the years and it really, um, kind of makes you emotionless to loss.
0: I, my aunt passed away when I was in college to heroin, um we've had we've been to multiple funerals together i i feel like and it's really sad that the stigma that surrounds addiction is the dialogue i feel like just isn't there i feel like the help isn't there the help is lacking it lacks so much the resources i feel like just are not the best i feel like there's so much work to be done Mm -hmm. in this area and That's kind of why I told you I wanted to do this. And Devin was just recently kind of in L.A. I don't know what was that like six or eight months ago and we hung out. I saw Devin and I kind of picked his brain about doing a podcast and what I'm doing now. And I always told him I was like, I would love for you to share your story or like partner with me or like do this thing with me or just like figure out like a way to use our voices to. Share our story or your story to help others who are alone. I feel like when I went through all of this, like I was so alone. None of our friends besides you, me, Joey, the few others that like, you know, were dabbling with us besides those people, like no one where we're from can relate to this shit.
1: not even not can they relate but i hate to be honest and most of the people i've grown up with and things like that i'll always be cordial and nice with them but they're fair weather friends you know when you're fucking 130 pounds and you know skin and bones and struggling for your life and isolated no one really gives a fuck about you but when you're doing well and have a developed career and doing bodybuilding shows and winning them or whatever people people want to reach out and show their support it's very interesting it's just the fact that um a handful of people actually do understand what you're going through and not to mention alcoholics and addicts like ourselves, we self isolate too. So we make a bad problem even worse.
0: Yeah. I'm good at doing that. I self isolate a lot. I feel like, or at least I used to like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, growing up, like I'm pretty close with my parents, you know, like I would go home for dinners and like, whatever, during that time when I was like living at the Euclid house or doing whatever, like I wasn't going home for dinners. I wasn't talking to my dad and that's like not normal for me. And you know me, I'm like the isolation sure. part I think is important because that's kind of how we get stuck. I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And you isolate so hard that you won't even, I mean, I remember this, my, my last really bad relapse here, I was, you know, hold up and Um, an apartment or it was a condo and, you know, you self isolate so hard. I I hadn't showered in weeks. I hadn't seen anyone in weeks. I hadn't, you know, it was, it was my little hole of misery that I created and that I wanted to stay in.
0: Yeah. And so when you start feeling like that, how do you get yourself out of that rut?
1: To be honest with you, when I was in active addiction, um, the answer to everything Uh, you know, it was the solution was just to use them more, uh, you know, well, I was going and and I could have deeply benefited from counseling and seeing someone I was going through a really difficult breakup because I chose drugs over the relationship. Um, and because of that, you know, these isolation, well, what's the answer drugs? Well, she doesn't love me. Well, what's the answer drugs? Well, my friends don't want to talk to me. What's the answer drugs? Well, I've lost 90 pounds. I used to be a really successful bodybuilder. Now I look like fucking shit. Oh, what's the answer? Drugs. It, it, but once you're sober and you realize that this chemical dependency is controlling you and that you're its bitch, really, I would say there's a lot of coping mechanisms that have really helped me. Um, it's going to sound really stupid, but controlled breathing, as dumb as it sounds, controlled breathing, slowing the fuck down, and just taking things for what they are. People used to always tell me, reset your day. You can you can reset your day whenever you want. <laughs> no, the fuck you can't. I'm sorry. No, you can't. You're having a bad day. You're having a fucking bad day. It is what yeah. it is, you, you you can do what you want you know if you have a support group that's absolutely fucking awesome talk to someone call your mom call your dad call your friend call someone you haven't spoken to in a while. call your sister call your brother if you don't go go do some exercise go do some shit go ahead and punch bag. bed go lift some fucking weights just don't stay in your head because if you stay in your head uh, if you're someone like me the only really option if you're in your head is to get loaded
0: And so Devin does like insane weight, bodybuilding. I don't even know the right thing to call it. I'm not informed. Um, So obviously eating and being healthy and being in the gym is like your safe place. That is like what fuels your fire Mm -hmm. and helps keep you sober. And how does the healthy eating aspect play a role in how your body feels mentally. And like you put in the good and you feel good. I, I, I eat like shit. So I, <laughs> I, I don't get any healthy benefits from anything that I eat.
1: You also have the metabolism of the gods. I've never met anyone with a faster metabolism, but I will say, you know, what you eat is what you've become. And discipline to me has been literally the benefactor, I would say of my sobriety or of my success thus far in life. Um, just you know being on on this regimen and that's actually something that when i first got sober my literally my first day sober i actually had a plan with my bodybuilding coach to get my shit back in gear get eating again get eating correctly now that still made recovery extremely difficult the first six weeks of sobriety i probably slept maybe three or four hours every night it was terrible um i would say really you know the exercise component really helps especially in, in the, the diet and, and kind of controlling things in the early weeks because you have fucked up your serotonin and, and dopamine receptors so hard that they're only gonna be pumping when you have dopamine you, you got some sort of fucking opiate or something in you. Um, so getting you know some sort of feel-good chemical in your body whether it's fucking smashing your face with chocolate when you're early in sobriety or doing a run or going and lifting some weights good as long as it's not a needle as long as it's not a line like that's okay man it's okay.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's very common when you are like in recovery or getting sober, you switch one addiction for another one, whether it be like sugar or overeating or reading or like going to the gym and like getting huge and psycho like you and just like absolutely (laughs) shredded. Like, you know, I feel like that's it. And like, I'm so fucking addicted to sugar. Like, it's so bad. I like have, it's, it's horrible. (laughs) But like, that's just like, that's just, it is what it is. You're a human. That's fine. I, mean, yeah. I don't care. Like I don't, right. I'll take it.
1: Everyone has a vice. And are you going to judge me because I sin differently than you or because my vice is different than yours? You, you, you really, you can't. Um, I mean, substitute addiction is very real. Obviously if I'm not bodybuilding, typically I'm on a really bad path, you know, actually what kind of sparked my relapse along with a long line of hormone issues. And, um, experiencing success in a field I'd never experienced success for and getting notoriety. And uh, that really got to my head and fucked with my ego. It fed directly into COVID In the gym's closing. And the gym's closing happened to happen right when I fractured my back. So six weeks prior to gym's closing because of COVID, I already had a fractured back. So I'd been six weeks out of the gym already. Then gym's closed. Well, now what the fuck do I do with my life? I need to be happy somehow. I'm going to start doing heroin again. It's exactly how it went down the path. And I just ruined everything and every relationship I had because I chose some stupid fucking shitty powder.
0: (laughs) I know. And I feel like, like we both really started dabbling in those pills. Honestly. Yeah. I feel like around the same time. And I, I think some of the first perks I ever probably did were with you. Like, like absolutely. And to be able to sit here five or however many years later and we're both sober is <laughs> pretty fucking cool if you ask me and I'm very proud of us that we can sit here and like have this open dialogue
1: I think it's even more impressive to be honest that we're still alive um, especially after some of the bullshit we pulled I mean me in particular I I, I guess it I can't remember I think it was March 8th and March 11th what was one of those days I had this whole game plan Gonna fucking off myself. I was gonna do a big old fat shot and just not wake up. And it worked. I did. I killed myself, which is like exactly what I fucking wanted. And then some kid who's a very close friend of mine now, obviously, but at the time we hadn't spoken in quite some time, um, randomly just happened to be around the my apartment and was like, Oh, let me check on Devin, broke down my door and found me fucking purple. Like so. The, the fact that we're even alive, despite all the, the absolutely stupid shit you and I have done. Plus, I remember one time you and I were, like, snorting a line of, like, Ambien and a 30 together. So, like, we've just done some fucking dumb shit. Like, I don't know why. I
0: actually alive. think I remember that. Because I yeah. think I remember I ended up, like, tripping my balls off. And I was, like, talking to your brother Dylan about I remember texting him being like, oh, my God, I felt like I was, like, doing Mario race (laughs) cart. What the fuck are you talking about?
1: Yo, you fucked up. (laughs) Yeah, dude.
0: No, we did a lot of uh, Xanax and Percocet mixing, which is really... And I didn't realize how bad my Xanax addiction was until... Like, literally, my skin was turning yellow from, with, like, withdrawal, like, and I'm, like, yeah. what the fuck is going on?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I would say that, you know, we, we definitely did, did walk that that path there together, and it's so easy to to let, like, substances just play out of pocket, because what becomes, like, okay, I'm doing this on the weekend. Well, okay, now I'm going to do this on Mondays.
0: Not feeling good, and then we're going through right. withdrawal, and then... Okay, like we need to get more, and the, okay, and it just like your whole life turns into only that.
1: Yeah, and, and even to add on to that, I, Xanax is the one drug in particular that like those that I know that have recovered from Xanax. I, I you, I think you genuinely may be the only person I know who still has the same personality. Every it's like genuinely someone flipped the fucking lobotomy switch on all my friends who were addicted to Xanax. They're fucking weirdos. They're absolutely fucking weirdos now. That should. Scoops from your brain. Look, uh, I'm a heroin addict. I can't talk shit, but I love Xanax too. Don't get me wrong. But god damn does it do damage?
0: But no, it's just like I I didn't even realize how dangerous. This sounds dumb. Like obviously it was dangerous, but I didn't really realize how how dangerous it was right. mixing whatever the fuck we were mixing, and like we didn't we don't know like what Roger was giving us some of the time, like.
1: No. And that's, it's the hard stopper combat. That's what keeps killing these young kids. These 19, 20, 20, you know, these young kids with money, they're taking a bar and they're sniffing a 30 thinking they're having themselves a night. Well, they don't wake up from that night. And um, I remember because I had always heard from like my childhood deal childhood dealer. What the fuck am I talking about? Like <laughs> a high school deal, whatever. You know, I was like 16, 17. I was, I was a man. I can't say I was a child. You yeah, to no. um, always say, heroin and oxys are the milk of the same poppy quote unquote heroin and oxys are milk of the same poppy fuck that fuck that yeah i know it's five times cheaper fuck that i'm, I'm never gonna touch heroin never gonna touch heroin your conditioned from a young kid i'm never gonna touch heroin well i remember because I'm, I'm a sketchy kid and i was always on the fucking dark web and there was like oh this, this vendor was doing like a ten dollar heroin stamp free giveaway so i'm like ten dollar heroin stamp free giveaway i'm like don't mind if i do so <laughs> i tried it I think it was 18 or I was seven. I think I was 17 when I first tried heroin, actually snorting actual heroin. Um, and I remember right then and there after I snorted that $10 worth, I just, I remember thinking, fuck, they are like, fuck, they're the same. Like I've literally been doing heroin this entire time. They were the exact same high, the exact same, you know, euphoria. And that's when I realized right then and there, you know, now I'm gonna start doing heroin. Now she's <laughs> got me, she's got me good. Off to the races, bitches, I'm saving money. <laughs>
0: literally no i mean because that shit was getting so expensive and i remember
1: (laughs) and i remember you know going from 120 dollars uh i know what
0: i was gonna say now oh go ahead was the switching from the percocets and the oxys to the heroin like i kind of remember hearing like Little snippets like, okay, like we're not sure if Dev is doing heroin, and I'm like, no, 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 like he would <laughs> never, do that like, no, no. And I and I remember the person that I lived with um, at the time in the Euclid house. We all participated in drugs and did all this together. And he started bringing home something totally different, a totally different substance. And at the time, he told me that they were op eighties whatever the fuck that is and i'm like oh okay he's like cool like he's like, yeah it's like an oxy or whatever and it's like this little like brown like rock or whatever and he has like a razor blade and he's, like, <laughs> shaving off like line from the
1: pharmacy baby
0: like literally right <laughs> off the fucking rock just sh- 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 shucking it down and i'm like okay this like these aren't the normal blues or like the pinks that we get i'm like this is weird like this is seems a little suspicious and he's like oh it's fine dude i fucking googled heroin in rock form and shit you not that's what's on my first fucking my thing table.
1: first fucking thing and
0: i was like okay like still to this day will not fucking admit it and i'm like <laughs> so it's of like course. i'm course, living with you i trust you we're like you're giving me heroin and you're not even telling me like and i'm like okay like oh, like this, feel like, and I'm like, I think the first time I took a, I snorted a line, I immediately puked. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. I remember you used like, to puke. I remember that. Yeah. yeah,
0: I always used to puke. I would always like, after yeah. the, first, the first bump, it would, I'd, I'd throw up and then I would like be fine. And then I, and I like, didn't even care. I
1: like still, I kept well, doing it. Yeah. I, I didn't, I remember I didn't see any harm in it because I was personally benefiting from you guys doing that but the unfortunate truth that ate me alive a lot especially after joey's passing is keep in mind i gave everyone i i am the one who gave you guys that connect for heroin i'm the one who gave you guys that connect for percocet i'm the one who gave joey every resource he did to kill himself and i felt an immense amount of guilt because of that um joey was a great friend of mine for those that don't know and we were inseparable and he was very upset with me that i went to university of colorado because it was so far away uh and he was in cincinnati and it was something that really bothered him he felt that i abandoned him and joey and i always did 30s together it was like our thing you know we would chill he called me one night when i'm in colorado and he's he's fucking blitzed he's like oh man i love you i'm so sorry for saying all those hurtful things when you were in town last time i love you so much like i can't wait to see you for winter break again like and i'm like what, you know, what did you take? He's like, oh, Heather gave me Dilaudid powder. And Heather was the hookup that led to Roger because they were neighbors. I remember and her bitch
0: ass.
1: I remember immediately right then and there I was like, oh, fuck, Joey's, Joey's messing with heroin. And then when I came back in town for Thanksgiving break, um, we did it. Uh, he shot up in front of me and like literally almost overdosed. It's is the first time I had ever seen someone shoot up. And he just went fucking pale. I was like, <gasps> and I snorted some with him there and he was so fucked up. And I remember right then there, I was like, this is not cool. Like Joey cannot do this. And I, you know, I went back to college, went back from break, get a call from him. He's doing fucking great. He's sober. He's working at the, at the country club. He's doing sounds like good old Joey. And, you know, obviously that illusion shattered uh, the day I got home and I asked him if he wanted to work out and I didn't get a reply. And the whole bunch of people are texting me at this cops outside of his house. And my really good friend, Zach called me and, She's calling me crying and, you know, you can put two and two together, but felt an immense amount of guilt for not only killing my best friend, but also for turning you for turning the person who lived at the Euclid house for turning all of our connections onto heroin. And I did so willingly because I was benefiting
0: yeah and i mean that's a part of being an addict you're selfish you don't give a fuck i don't give a
1: yeah. fuck what you're doing exactly like, as long as i get mine i'm
0: giving high and i don't get like fucked bullshit. i don't yeah care. and no and i just remember i remember that with joey i remember hearing kind of you know oh he could be dabbling in heroin like all of these things and i remember no one
1: wanted to believe it
0: no and i remember i don't know if you were a part of this or not i can't even remember but we had like a meeting at the euclid house with all of the guys and we were like what do we do you you couldn't have been there you must have been at school
1: yeah Yeah. i I remember that he told everyone that he was like i'm not and he told everyone that that he's done with it
0: that'll it be okay and i just remember A week or two after that, me, Bradley and Katie, who are my siblings, we went to Alabama down for a football game. And I remember in the car, we were having a discussion and it was about Joey. And it was like, if things do not change, this situation is going to have a very, very horrible outcome. And three, I shit you not, three weeks later there, we were planning his funeral.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely
0: true. I think. For me, that was such a wake up call, but then, yeah. like, literally, was right down at Rogers that same night getting high.
1: Exactly, I, I remember the night, the, the the night that he died. I went and got perks, and I remember we
0: probably you know, got high together then.
1: Yeah, I, I remember the, the owner of the Euclid House and my brother were asking like yeah, we need to watch Devin. I, this isn't good.
0: I but, remember being very upset at owner of the Euclid house because he went straight to Roger. And I was like, we literally just cool. had a friend die. Like, what are, like, from him, like, from, like, there. Like, I'm like. But
1: that was our support structure. That's what we needed to get over that hurt. That's what, because that's all we knew at the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I not to get off topic, but I remember oh. the first time I did a 30 and it was with Joey. And you know me, I play World of Warcraft like my yeah. girl. I love World of Warcraft. Um, I I sniffed this, and for the first time in my life, I felt like loved. Um, my entire childhood, like you know, I never really felt loved. I, um, you know, the 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 girls I liked never liked me back. Uh, the, these things that just made me feel like I wasn't one of the one of the guys or something like that, or that I, I didn't feel well. It, but I snorted this, okay. this 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 pill, and I felt fucking love. I felt so great. I closed my eyes. And I was playing World of Warcraft in my fucking head. And I was like, oh my God, like I love this. Like I found fucking love. I found support. I found what makes me happy. I don't need a fucking woman. I don't need love. Like this is what I fucking need. And that's it, like, that goes right back. Like Joey passed away and like, was the first thing we all did. We all got fucking high. So it's all, we, that's the only coping mechanism any of us ever had. We didn't know anything. Bunch of stupid no. fucking kids.
0: Yeah, I remember literally, I was babysitting these kids that day. And I remember getting a text message. A fucking text message, like, are you kidding me? From Euclid house owner or whatever. And I just remember having to call my sister being like, okay, like I don't know where you are, but like I have to tell you this before you hear it, like from somebody else. Like right. and I I feel like where we're from. And like the community that we were raised in, everyone was like so shocked, I feel like, when right it, it shouldn't have, and I hate to say it like this, but it shouldn't have been a huge shock. Like there, I feel like maybe it was just like our friend group, but it's like we were trying so hard to help him, and you can't, and you have taught me this. You cannot help someone if they don't want to get help and you're like you're so hard-headed and like such a fucking asshole that like yeah. you are never going to get sober because oh, God, your mom God. said to or because whoever your girlfriend to, left like, you go, yeah. like you have to do that for you you yeah. have to be ready and yeah that I think has been one of the hardest things I've had to learn about addiction is that we can't help your boyfriend or your mom or your best friend or whoever it is. We like you, we really can't help them. No, there's nothing.
1: I've, I've tried to get sober for other people. Um, it always led to a needle back in my arm. I, my ex-girlfriend dropped me off of rehab twice. Um, and if I had half a fucking brain, obviously, if, uh, if your spouse picks you up and drops you off from rehab, she probably loves you a whole lot. And yeah. I ruined that relationship. Um, still considered, you know, her the love of my life, and that's an opportunity I'll never get back because I didn't, I didn't want to get sober for her. Of course, obviously, after she left me, rightfully so, uh, and I had already died once, and I realized, like, okay, you know what, like. I'm about to lose my fucking career. Like, luckily, I have a great career. And I was on the, the, the I was on a final HR warning about to lose my career. Um, I was, you know, I'm almost six foot and I was like 169 pounds, like soaking wet, fucking like anorexic. Uh, and then I was like, okay, like, I'm going to fucking rehab. And I, I actually did it just to like shut people up this last time. And this, this one counselor, his name was Kevin. And he sat me down and he goes, what the fuck do you think you're doing? I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You're here for ten days, right? You're here for detox." I said, "Yeah." He said, "You were here uh, three months ago for ten days for detox, right?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "How'd that go?" I was like, "All right, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, dude." He's like, "No, he's like, you you don't get it. He's like, you're going to fucking die. He's like, this isn't it's not it's not a question. He's like, you are going to die. He's like, why don't you pull your fucking head out of your ass for one minute? Stop being a selfish asshole and go to fucking California. Go to rehab. He's like, you have amazing insurance. We're gonna cover everything. He's like, go to fucking California. And for once in my life." I actually listened to someone. I was, you know, and I I was like, you know what? This this guy's fucking right. Obviously I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I was still, I, I got sober for selfish reasons and thank the Lord I did because the girl didn't work. My parents didn't work. My dead sisters didn't work. Um, Nothing, nothing will ever work besides you wanting to get sober.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the hardest lessons. I've had to learn out of all of this um, is it's, you know, you say you feel guilty because of the connect and like X, Y, and Z. But I think for me is that I feel guilty that we're here and we're sober and we're healthy, but like, we still have friends who are struggling friends that we experimented and did drugs with people who are still in stuck in that phase it's it makes me feel guilty that I'm I got out and I'm healthy and I'm Why do okay. I deserve this yeah. yeah and it's like yeah so I, and it, when so I, many
1: better people than me have died so many, hold, many people are still suffering
0: yeah I hold a lot of I don't know if it's like guilt or responsibility or just like and it's hard when we're growing and we're building our lives and we still have friends who are like still stuck in that rut. So I think that's yeah. something that, that it took me a long time to realize that like, I can't control anyone. I like, I can only do what's best for me. What works for me, what's best for my pathway and right doesn't work for you. Then it doesn't work for you. And
1: it's like a self-fulfilling it, prophecy almost, you know, it's, it's self resentment. And that's something I had to work uh, through a lot is it building quite literally resentment because why am I alive? Why do I have this chance? Why do I have to bear this pain of being alive when everyone I love is dead? And I remember before, I think it was probably one of my last conversations with my ex-girlfriend before I actually got my shit together. I was sitting on the edge of the couch, just bawling, crying, saying, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask. I didn't ask for this. You know, I didn't ask for this fucking life. I didn't ask to be alive. I don't want to be alive. And it's it's things like that after getting sober. It's you know, like why am why am why am I sober? Like why am I not dead? Why my my in 24 was a really difficult year for me because 24 is how old Star was when she passed away. Star was a grown-ass woman. Mm-hmm. I was not a grown-ass man at 24. I was still a kid and I wasn't very immature. And why didn't Star deserve this? Why isn't she alive? Why isn't Sky still alive? You know, and I feel like well, I, a lot of times I'm living on borrowed time, and that's why. I have a a lot more of a laissez-faire attitude towards life these days because kind of whatever the fuck happens, happens. Um, I can't control much, and I'm trying to control what I can every day.
0: Yeah, day by day. I know that's like a big A-A-N-A quote. Pillow
1: to pillow.
0: One day at a time. Um, But just for the audience that's listening, I want to... Uh, clarify, I don't think we really talked about what happened to Sky. I know we talked a lot about what happened to Star, and Star was Devin's first sister that passed away when he was 11 years old. 11 years later, Devin's family lost another sister, and her name was Sky. So, for those that are listening, there were two separate instances where Devin has lost two family members to addiction. So, I just wanted to clarify that so everyone can understand. And if there's and, anything you want to say about it please do.
1: Yeah, just said to, to build off that. Life was always so difficult for Sky after Star passed because just like Alvin and I were very very close, Star and Sky were very very close. Star had called Sky the night that she had passed away and Sky didn't answer. And that's got something Sky lived with a lot. Life was always really tough for Sky. The past, you know, 10 years of or uh, I guess 8 9 years of her life without Star were really fucking tough. And I remember
0: they were i remember watching her struggle they were yeah very, very hard
1: really tough and i remember after her passing away i felt in this you know i can say this now but i, I felt a shred of relief for her because i knew she was finally at fucking peace because that chick had a hard fucking life
0: i know yeah yeah and she was so amazing she would light up every fucking room and You know, I would spend a lot of Thanksgivings over at the Fisher's house and we would just like have the best times. And you're right. It's not it's not fair. Like why? Yeah. You're I'm just so proud of you that I get to sit here and like have this discussion with you, because very, very honest, I never thought you would get here to this point. And that is very scary. to to think that about someone that you love and care about. And I just want you to know that you're doing the right thing. And Sky and Star and Joey, everyone is so proud of you, your parents. And I'm so proud of you. And I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with me and everyone that's listening and just bullshitting with me for a bit. Mm
1: i appreciate it and honestly even if if one person listens to this and takes away like one percent of some of the random bullshit i said and, and it can help them then like fuck yeah that's literally all i want you know i hope my story and what i've been through what you and i have been through i should say can at least help someone and if there's anything i can do to help someone more like fucking reach out to me man like, I, yeah,
0: know. no, absolutely. I'll I'll link all of your social media and ways for people to contact <laughs> you in the show. Follow notes. me on IG. <laughs> um, but I guess maybe just like one one other thing while I have you is for people who are listening. How did you know like when it was time for you to like go to rehab? I've never gone to rehab. I I haven't lived that experience. How did you how did you know like okay, like throwing in the towel, like I I I quit, I give up. Or like how did you know to ask for help, I guess. If those people are who are listening are trying to ask for help or figure out how to get on the right path. What step first step would you recommend them taking?
1: Yeah. Um, surrender, throw the fucking white flag, like literally just throw the white flag because the way you're running in your life, it doesn't fucking work and it's not working right now. Take a look. Um, and that that was the, the number one thing in this final time is the first time I actually went to rehab for me. I got sent to the Liberty Ranch, although you know I continued staying there because of me. Um I realized it was time because I had lost everyone. The only person that loved me at the time I had just treated so terribly and, and she had moved on and was with someone else. And I had no one, I had no friends, I had no place to stay anymore. All I had, and thank the fucking Lord, I still somehow had my career. Um I I had which had been funding, you know, my, my, my habit. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I had nothing. I had no friends. My parents wanted nothing to do with me unless the text or call I was going to say and send them said, I'm going to rehab, please help me. And that's what I did. I, I, I called them. I said, I'm going to fucking rehab. You know, let me, let me stay there for a little bit until I get in. And then the rehab fucking called me back that night and they're like, yeah, we got a bed open. And I'm like, well, I got dope. So I'm not going. I was like, I'll be there 20 I'll be there tomorrow they're like no they're like no it's it's either right so I learned a lesson right there a very hard lesson because Mm -hmm. I then ran out of dope and had to wait six fucking days withdrawing my ball sack off to get into rehab um (laughs) so when you know it's it's time is when everyone you love probably fucking hates you because you fucked them over um, and you've ruined every relationship. Your parents want nothing to do with you. You're not allowed in places because you steal shit. If you carry a gun around you at all times, you probably need help. Things like that. And these are red flags that normal people don't do. You walk around with this, you know, fucking, and you you get depicted. I yeah. <laughs> you get it.
0: I'm still very close to this day with Devin's mom, and I love her, and I know she obviously loves you very much, and I'm sure she's very relieved that you decided to go and do that so I'm proud of you
1: thank you yeah they were they were very supportive of me they originally I mean I I had no plans to come back to Cincinnati I was going to stay out in Los Angeles quite a bit of me kind of does regret that but um, like I mentioned the only thing I had left was my career and they offered me uh, basically a chance to return and I saw that as basically hey you know this is this is my only option so having support by anyone it was also really important um you know and also look people places and things like they say people say like oh that you know it doesn't matter you can score dope anywhere i agree however getting sober get the fuck out of your hometown if, if you're if you live in dayton and you're you're fucking shooting dope get the fuck out of Dayton. you'll get sober somewhere else come back to dayton when you're not an idiot because you oh, are an absolutely idiot. Right. Yeah, yeah i feel
0: like there's so many triggers when you are staying like in that environment it's right
1: you're gonna tell me that you're gonna go block all your fucking dealers or some shit like that yeah get real wait until you have a bad day Wait until you have a shitty day at work wait until you get into a fight with someone you'll unblock that number real fucking quick so yeah, just don't definitely. set yourself up for failure literally the first step is not setting yourself up for failure shutting the fuck up and realizing that you actually quite literally know nothing and you running your life has gotten you this far to the point of almost death so why don't you shut the fuck up and let someone run your life for you
0: yeah, no, exactly. I think you said that beautifully. And it's very true. Like, OK, we got ourselves in this fucking shithole. Now, like, OK, we need help. So
1: my best thinking got me here. Does that say something about me? It says I'm a fucking moron right there.
0: <laughs> and here we are.
1: Exactly.
0: No, this was awesome. Is there anything else that you feel that you need to share or want to get off your chest?
1: No, it's the only thing I want to say is that uh, I'm truly proud of you doing your podcast, and obviously I love you and support you, and I'm I'm very honored to be on it.
0: Oh thank you. Well, you know I love you too, and this has been very cool. I like can't believe we're like still sitting down and like actually doing this. Um, who would have thought, huh?
1: Right, I'm with you. Who would have fucking thought?
0: Well. We've got some pretty cool guardian angels with us, guiding us, and we'll make them proud, yeah?
1: Absolutely. That's the game plan. Every day is another chance.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, guys, thank you for listening to Devin and I's talk today. I will include all of his information in the show notes, and I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you for joining us today on this episode, and hopefully we could put this lesson into layman's terms. See you guys next episode.